Welcome to Vision Insights, a podcast series produced by Miami Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired. My name is Cameron Sisser, and I'm proud to host this episode of our series. The internet has changed our lives forever. From shopping to banking to education, communication, entertainment, and so many other opportunities are now available to us from our home computers, adding incredible new options that increase awareness, convenience, and choices. While many of us can't imagine a day without the internet, 30 million Americans with visual challenges face major obstacles when it comes to accessing internet content. Since the internet is primarily a visual medium, many blind and visually impaired people have invested in devices and applications that read website information to them in synthesized voices or enhance their screen with enlarged font. This allows them to see better what sighted website users can read on screen. However, too many websites lack the necessary backend programming to accommodate these audio screen reading tools and widgets. So, persons who are blind or visually impaired are shut out. In this episode of Vision Insights, we will explore the subject of website accessibility with two experts on the subject and a business operator that recently upgraded their website to be fully accessible. I'm delighted to introduce Lily Crook, Chief Operating Officer of Crook & Crook, a family-owned, full-service marine and fishing tackle retailer located in Miami, but also doing business globally through the Crook & Crook website. Robert Fine, a shareholder with the law firm of Greenberg Trorig, who specializes in issues involving the American with Disabilities Act, and George Hernandez, Manager of Technology at Miami Lighthouse. Everyone on our podcast has extensive knowledge on the subject of website accessibility. Thank you all for being on Vision Insights. George, let's begin with some basic definitions. What makes a website inaccessible to the visually impaired? And give us a brief overview of the American with Disabilities Act with relation to website accessibility. Uh, thank you for having me, Cameron. Um, in very simple terms, when a website is not accessible, especially for people who are blind or visually impaired. The obstacles we encounter are, are something that uh, those who are in the sighted world cannot uh, determine because of the screen reading technology technologies that we use. Um, when we're looking at a web page and the content is not organized properly or it's missing the alt text on the images, um, we, we start falling into some, some barriers that we got to figure out, okay, if there's an image there, what's that image? What does it contain? Uh, if the content is not structured properly, we might be moving around the, the, the page from left to right or top to bottom without having a true structure of the content that we need to obtain. Regarding to the ADA and Title III, any page, it's, you know, Title III states, it is based on the information that's provided, okay? Meaning if a document is legible and we can obtain that data. That's one of the biggest flaws we're facing right now still today with website accessibility issues. Thank you for sharing, George. Robert, several months ago, the U.S. Department of Justice issued a new website accessibility guidance statement for state and local governments and public accommodations, including businesses. 
What effect do these new guidelines have on websites? Thank you, Cameron. The guidance that came out in one regard doesn't do very much. It didn't provide any new standards or ways about how to go about making websites accessible. Um, what it did do was it sort of took what has up till now been provided in the Federal Register and regulations, and I guess lawyers speak, whatever standards the ADA has, and sort of put into plain English for businesses um, and laypersons who don't have a lot of familiarity with this subject, um, in a general sense, what is required, what the government's going to be requiring uh, in terms of accessible websites. Actually, much more significant, I think, is that this summer the government came out with an announcement that they're going to start formal rulemaking, um, I believe starting in April, issuing a notice of proposed rulemaking, which is where they publish a draft regulation, which has been um, wanting for a long time um, regarding website accessibility. It will be um, addressed to Title II entities, which are state and local governments, but it really, and through the course of the ADA, often standards from one title like this become sort of a roadmap for others. So it's expected that, you know, either formally there'll be something to follow up with Title III, or it'll become sort of a de facto path of standards um, so that for, the, for businesses who, when they go and invest and they want to know, I'm doing something what the law requires, and the law now is really fairly vague, um, it'll give a lot more confidence, I think, and make businesses feel more comfortable um, in moving forward, those who have been, I guess, behind the curve. And so they expect um, April and I think June or July, till then, will be appeared for public comment. Businesses can make comments, and hopefully shortly thereafter, they'll be finally um, you know, a real regulatory standard, which should have been out four years ago and was very close. Um, but about four years ago, there was a big stop to regulatory rulemaking for a number of years. And that was a rule that got sort of caught up in that. So um, I think um, now with the guidance, you've got, you know, something that's come out that tells businesses, again, in plain English, you have these obligations. Um, and then coming up soon will be hopefully, you know, an actual regulation that will provide standards both for businesses and the courts um, as to what is really required. Thanks, Robert. That's a wonderful transition to Lily Crook. Lily, Crook & Crook has seen a sharp rise in its website-based sales and approached Miami Lighthouse about ensuring that its website is fully accessible. What was it that motivated you to pursue a fully accessible website for Crook & Crook? Well, thank you so much for having me, Cameron. It's an honor and a pleasure to be part of your podcast. Um, a Lighthouse for the Blind was actually our saving uh, grace in, in, in our website. Uh, we had a website rolling, which we had put together with our main processor, and we thought we were doing okay. We had our, our, our products on, and we were going along, and then one day 
we got a letter from an attorney group telling us that we were out of compliance with ADA for websites. And quite honestly, in following up with what Robert uh, was saying, we were completely taken by surprise because you'll find that most small and medium-sized businesses like ours really had no idea um, unfortunately, that ADA, for us, ADA was the physical aspect, but we were not aware of the website uh, necessities, and that brought us to a screeching halt. So we brought down our website because as an independent company, we care about providing the best shopping experience we can for all of our customers. So we wanted to make sure that we reflected this in our internet community. We wanted to make sure that anyone and everyone that wanted to access our site could equally enjoy the experience navigating through our digital marketplace. So we had to come to a stop. And as we were going through these learning uh, pains, because like as Robert was mentioning, there are no clear guidelines for businesses, but only best practices, which were open to different interpretation from everyone that we went to speak to. So I started seeking assistance and looking up uh, consultants and who could help us. And one day, one of our employees, which is sight impaired, came up to me and gave me a little piece of paper. And he said, Lily, call these people. Maybe they can help us. And when I opened the paper, it said the lighthouse for the blind. And I looked at him, I hugged him and I said, right now you're the smartest man on the planet. Thank you so much. So that's when I made my first call and I found that the lighthouse for the blind had a division, a group of people that could actually help us. And it was just wonderful in that we were now being guided by somebody with their expertise into what we should be doing. And for us, it was just like, like I said, completely wonderful to be able to find this help and this guidance. Thanks, Lily. George has some comments, I believe. It's a great transition, especially when, when it comes to coming to compliance with a web page. And Lily, I think if everybody will take your lead, uh, and make those digital platforms accessible to us who are blind or visually impaired, it makes our shopping experience so much easier. Uh, there is a large consumer group that is still being not tapped into because the, the web pages are not accessible. Uh, all it is is more business for the uh, small or medium business or even large enterprises. Once you make that web page accessible, our shopping experience becomes easier and we're gonna visit that page more often. And that means we're gonna spend our dollars on those uh, entities that have those web pages accessible to us. And if I may interject, one of the things, George, that I found in, in, in promoting website accessibility to other businesses is that a lot of businesses like ours are not aware to do this. And I think that's where you all play such a pivotal role in educating businesses like ours in our size that can benefit so much in expanding their website to make it accessible. But I found in, in talking, and I'm always recommending your services, is that I find a lot of businesses aren't aware that these services are available or that it's even necessary you know, in, in, in that they can get this assistance. It was wonderful for us. And I find everyone I speak to is just excited about the possibility of working with a lighthouse for the blind that can help them. Thank you both. Robert, there are a number of state and federal lawsuits filed by visually impaired plaintiffs against retailers, banks, and other businesses with websites. 
These suits allege that the defendant's websites fail to accommodate those with disabilities, violating the American with Disabilities Act. Can you walk us through some of these website accessibility cases and the legal status of the associated ADA claims? Certainly. The ADA is a federal statute. And as such, the vast majority of the lawsuits brought under it are brought in federal court. Um, in the early days, they were, they were filed in a number of areas around the country. They have really sort of centered in on Florida, California, and the New York City area of New York. Um, one of the reasons for California and New York, besides the fact that, that they have large um, disabled populations, is that in those jurisdictions, in addition to being able to get a court to um, order a business to comply with whatever parts of the law they're not, and attorney's fees is that people can sue for monetary damages. And so the litigation has actually over time become more expensive because normally under the ADA, most lawsuits don't involve monetary damages. And in these jurisdictions, um, you have that happening. Um, a lot of the litigation has to do with whether or not, interestingly enough, is not whether or not somebody's got a website that's accessible, but whether or not they're even covered by the ADA. And there's a split in the courts regarding whether businesses um, are covered as to um, there's some website-based businesses that have no bricks and mortar presence. They basically exist to the public only online and not physically. And because of an interpretation by the courts of the ADA regarding what is a place of public accommodation, um, many courts around the country have determined that you need to have a bricks and mortar presence. Um, three federal circuits go differently. Our perspective when we talk to clients are that with few exceptions, that the internet is like a, spill, a glass spilled of water. It goes everywhere. You could be in Des Moines, but your website finds its way into New York and California. And to the extent that everyone is using it to do business everywhere, you don't really get to say, I'm in an area where we don't have that problem. And so we counsel our clients, regardless of whether you're bricks and mortar based or not, that it's important for legal defense purposes to become accessible, have your website accessible, um, because your website, again, goes everywhere. One note um, is that even though this um, podcast is focused on websites regarding people who are vision impaired, the ADA covers um, all disabilities. And while it's a much smaller number, there are lawsuits and claims regarding by people who are deaf. So, if, for example, there's captioning. I mean, there's embedded um, videos and there's speech and there's no captioning um, that brings claims. Um, I can say that clients of ours who have worked with George and your organization for the website consulting, they include that in there. And so, you know, our clients, um, you know, have gotten sort of full service from uh, your consultants and we, you know, we counsel our clients one that you want to look at the full breadth of disabilities, um, but also that it's it has helped a lot, including later defense, when um, who you use to consult 
has someone on the team who is blind because that's really the end user and those are the people bringing claims. And when you want to make an argument, whether it's to a court or to someone complaining that your website is is accessible or you're in progress, but at this point it's officially accessible, the fact that you've worked with people who are blind who can really tell the difference because um, as uh, George mentioned earlier, you know, there are some things that are not really exactly in black and white. Is a website accessible when you talk about the structure of it and how it's set up? Um, there are things that to me, for example, would say, well, it looks like those things check all the boxes. And he might say, well, that's true, but there's so much, many things in this one area that we can't navigate through it. And so who really knows better? So, um, you know, in defending these cases, when we're in defense or working to avoid it, um, we find it's very important to have, you know, the perspective, not just of a good technician, but also people from the blind community. Um, it makes, it helps us be much more effective in helping our clients defend their positions. It also provides for a better product in their websites. That's right, Robert. N- nowadays, we equate a website to a business as a wheelchair ramp to a brick and mortar store. And um, George, you have a unique perspective on this issue as a blind person. What is your reaction when you are online and open a website that is inaccessible to you? Well, it's, it's very simple. If I cannot navigate that page and I cannot obtain information uh, required, let's say, to purchase a product, uh, my first response is going to be, well, if I cannot get what I need within the next couple of minutes, I'm just going to close that page and go somewhere else. Um, And this is just not me. This is a a lot of the blind and visually impaired community that realize, why am I going to go through all these loopholes just trying to purchase a product? Great, we got it in the shopping cart. Now, can I fill that form out to put my mailing address, my credit card number, and then have it shipped to me. If there's a process that takes longer than five minutes, uh, the time span for most of us is like, well, I'm just spending too much time here. I'm just gonna find somewhere else where I can do the same process quickly and efficiently. And this is where we as an organization here at Miami Lighthouse, uh, working with a council of try to do to make sure that when we submit a report, that we cover all aspects of that web page, so um, everybody's on the same page, and it's it's efficient for all of us. Lily, when the Miami Lighthouse team reviewed your website, what types of recommendations did they make? Well, they were very thorough in their examination, and they found that we needed to update how our menus and interactive elements worked in order to better synergize the software that we were using to access the web. And so that was really crucial to us. And then they also required us to place counters on our carts and pop-ups to advise the customers when they were going to access a site that was outside of our own when they activated a link so that they would be informed. It was a very thorough um, review. It gave us clarity. It gave us focus. And it actually gave us a roadmap detailing what we needed to do to accomplish our goal. So it was, it wasn't just, it, it was very clear. It was, it was 
so helpful to us to be able to know exactly what we needed to do. Thanks for sharing, Lily. Miami Lighthouse offers a website review process to assist public and private sector interests in making their website fully accessible. George, how does this process work and what are the most frequent problems that you find? The process is pretty simple. Uh, like Lily said, we try to be as thorough as possible. Uh, it could be as simple as a one day job where the team sits and we go through the, uh, the content of the page and we look at areas that are troublesome. Uh, what is different from us, from a lot of the other uh, companies that are doing this out there, is that we use 95% manual uh, auditing. That means 95% of the time, we're not using any other technology except our Braille devices, uh, different speech uh, or magnification software. We can use even a person who's low vision and is using just magnification, just to make sure they can go in there and see the contrast and, and they can navigate the page with ease. Um, we create a scope, or sometimes it is provided to us from uh, the organization that we're gonna be working with, and we follow a top to bottom approach, meaning we're gonna start all the way to the top of that page and we're gonna go line by line of that code to make sure we can manipulate it with our screen reader, our braille device, or even with a magnification software. Uh, once we complete the scope, we write up our report, we try to be as thorough as possible, and then we submit it to the uh, IT people of that company. And we do work hand in hand, like uh, I know with uh, Lily, we've spoken to their IT teams many a times, and we've had conversations in regards to some issues that they were not to understanding of, especially with the menus. Um, and we take our time to make sure that they understand what we're trying to say, we implement it, and then we test it out again with them online. Lily, you agreed to update your website to introduce accommodations for the visually impaired and others with disabilities. Was this process completed without any interruption to your active internet business traffic? And were you satisfied with the results? Oh, it, we had absolutely no interruption at all. Um, we have, like, like, like George says, the reports that they provide are very detailed, and we have a great communication back between uh, Danny, who runs our IT, myself, Cameron, and George. It's, it's a partnership. We view this as an ongoing partnership between Crook and Crook and Lighthouse for the Blind because I think it's imperative that, they, that we maintain our accessibility because all it does is grow our business and allow a section of the population with disabilities to be able to, to, try, to, be, to be with us and to, and to shop with us and to enjoy an experience with us. So we're very grateful uh, to their team and for the, not just the initial support, but the continuing support that we get that makes our website accessible to a greater internet community. And for this, we are on, a, on, a, on an ongoing uh, maintenance program with the Lighthouse for the Blind that works out tremendously for us. We just know that our site will continue to be accessible to the greater community, and we're very grateful for, for the relationship. Thanks for that glowing review, Lily. Robert, you advise clients about ADA compliance. Do you believe this type of website accommodation process will become the standard for all websites? To a great degree, I think it will. I think where we see things falling short now is that a lot of people and businesses still go and it's time to redo their website. And 
then they'll come to us after the fact and say, hi, now we have a brand new website. We want to make it accessible. And I think, and we try to encourage our clients that when you're doing new websites to bring in, you know, people like George and your organization and other qualified consultants while you're creating your websites, um, you can do, you know, end up with a website that ends up being more closely aligned with, you know, what your view of what you want your website to be and work better as opposed to taking something existing and adding on. So when people are making changes to their website, significant changes or new, um, we're trying encouraging them to bring in um, accessibility consultant from the very beginning. Just like if an architect's designing a building, they may be a great architect, but they still bring in an engineer to do the structure. I mean, it's this is a specialty, and most web designers deal in the visual world, and this is about having a website that works equally well, um, and not just be able to be interpreted, but be as effective as the tool it's intended to be for people who are blind and of other disabilities, but with the amount of litigation and the cost of that out there, uh, with new rules and regulations coming out, um, there's no question that this is the way the world is going, um, not just domestically, there are requirements abroad for accessible websites, and it's, it's really all pointing in this direction. George, you have some comments that you'd like to add? And, and Robert, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, especially that we know that uh, overseas, they've already started implementing web content accessibility guidelines, I believe over three years ago. So we're a little behind on this, but with these new um, guidelines that have been talked about now for a couple of months now, I believe next year, we're going to see uh, a structure that everybody can now follow and not have those vague uh, definitions that defines what is accessible and not accessible. So um, I can't wait for uh, April next year just to see um, what's really going to be uh, put out by, by DOJ. Thank you, George. Any final thoughts on the panel? Um, just one thought um, in following up a little bit on the conversation of, of making uh, websites accessible. I would caution people that when they're out there, like happened to me at the beginning, looking for consultants before I found, light, before I found the lighthouse, you have to be careful. There's a whole bunch. There's, we ran into people that are calling themselves, quote, unquote, consultants on ADA that really are just following a printout and attempting to take people that are in trying to, to, to comply and they're leading them down the wrong path. So I would caution anybody to really do their research before hiring a quote unquote on consultant and really go to people like the Lighthouse for the Blind that have the expertise, that know that, how, what it means to these individuals to be able to navigate the websites because that's what's at the core of it is, is to serve people and to make your website available to everybody. As many things happen in technology, they, things become less expensive, easier and cheaper. And in the world of businesses, especially small businesses creating websites, there are these different businesses out there that allow you to go in there and create templates. Um, there's a number of them and do your own, start your own small business website. 
And while a few of them put in information regarding the need for accessibility and where to get help, many of them don't. And the fact that you can go in there and very simply and expensively create your own store's website, it doesn't alleviate your responsibility either as a responsible business or under the law to provide an accessible website. And so, you know, you know, unfortunately that the, a lot of these companies, providers are not giving the information, but it's very important that when you, if you're a small business, go out there and create websites, even when you're doing it on yourself, that you need to go and get the information and make sure your website is accessible because you have the same liability whether or not someone, you know, told you in advance you need to do it or not. Yes, Robert. At Miami Lighthouse, we like to say that website accessibility is not just the right thing to do. It's the law. And thank you all for being on our Vision Insights podcast. Thank you, Lily Crook, Robert Fine, and George Hernandez for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to our podcast visitors. If you have questions about whether your website is accessible, please reach out to me, your Vision Insights host, 786-362-7515. You are listening to Vision Insights, a podcast series produced by Miami Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired. My name is Cameron Sisser. I welcome your questions, comments, and suggestions about this podcast series by contacting me at C-S-I-S-S-E-R at MiamiLighthouse.org. You can also follow us on social media by searching on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter for Miami Lighthouse. Vision Insights is brought to you by LighthouseShop.org. Do you or do you know someone suffering from vision loss? Visit LighthouseShop.org for all your low vision needs from magnifying glasses to solar shields to talking watches. LighthouseShop.org is there for you.